0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.
1: Let us pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would uh, not leave us to ourselves, but that you would send your Holy Spirit to speak to us Uh, even now, especially as we um, have a conversation about what you are doing in our midst, Lord, that our eyes would be open to your work and that we might have the courage uh, to follow you, our good shepherd, in whose name we pray. Amen. Um, I'm not wearing this for authority reasons. In fact, as I've said before, my children think I look like a grape. Uh, So um, uh, it's just so that I can kind of go up to the last minute and then dash out and just uh, throw... My marshmallow suit uh, on. Okay. So today we're talking about... Um, well, first of all, let me just ask a question. I'll tell, I'll, I'll tell you the method uh, or the madness before it. How many of you uh, were uh, in Tuscaloosa or Auburn yesterday? Okay. There were a whole lot more of you in church because y'all... We're tired. <laughs> I mean, it was so funny. I mean, I'm just sitting out there. I'm just like, um, and it is just. If someone wants to know what is the sing apart from the spirit of God, what is the greatest impact on ministry here? It is the home schedule for Auburn in Alabama. I mean, it is. There's even a formula that we have that can actually gauge accurately our attendance on a Sunday, if it's a home game, and if. If, in fact, if Alabama wins and it's a late game, we take a hit on attendance. If Alabama loses, we don't lose as many people because they come in because they need some ministry, right? They, it doesn't happen very often Auburn. Y'all just are faithful Christians and come no matter what. Okay. So, okay. Well, uh, we're going to talk today about discipleship and ministry development, the last two tenets that we'll talk about. And in the interest of full disclosure, I think these are the two most important things and the whole thing. I know that a lot of people want to get bogged down on the worship component and starting a new service and things like that. That, that, is, that is a logistical issue. Uh, and in fact, uh, we've never been more committed to our traditional choral worship Uh, than we have right now. We've never had more staff people committed to it. We've never had a higher budget. Uh, The choir is singing more in our services than they ever have. We've added choral services. And so actually, do you know what the greatest single threat to our choral tradition is? It's not Andrew. People aren't training to play the organ anymore. People aren't training to sing in the choral tradition uh, that we have. And so the Advent actually really struggles to get people to join uh, join the choir, uh, and church musicians just aren't training. And I mean, some of them are, uh, but many, uh, many are not. And so, actually, we're going to get to that in ministry development. So, the moment somebody says, well, Andrew's just not supportive of the choral tradition, just listen, not just listen, but also watch. What are we doing around here to show our commitment to who we are as the Advent? So, let's take a look at discipleship first, uh, which is... Uh, very important. Uh, we will equip every member of the Advent for the work of discipleship by creating and nurturing a culture that responds to the grace we have received from Jesus Christ. Now, we upended the lectionary today uh, in order to do the sermon uh, series on the solas, but I believe that the gospel lesson today was the one of the two sons, remember that, where the father says, hey, go, work in the, in the, go, go to work, and the first one says, I'll do it. I'll go to work. And then the next one says, I'm not going to work. I'm not going to go to work. And what happens? The one who says he went, was going to go to work, what does he do? Doesn't. He drops it. The one who said, I'm not going to do it, what does he go and do? He works, right? He works. And which is the one that we are to probably emulate? Better to be the one who says, I want nothing to do with Jesus Christ, and then to have a moment of repentance to then go into the, into the fields to labor, right? Right? And in the same way, uh, Christians who say, yeah, I'm going go to I'm gonna go into the vineyard and not to do it, that's problematic, isn't it? And so I don't like using phrases like, how do we put feet on our faith? Uh, because faith is, is a gift that God gives us in order for us to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and take Him as our Lord and Savior and to believe on Him. Uh, but there is a sense in which uh, as Christians... Uh, our desire, because all of a sudden when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit enters into your life, and all of a sudden your heart begins to desire the things that the heart of God desires. And you begin to have disdain even for the things that grieve the heart of God. And so after becoming a Christian, if you're one of those people who can have a clear delineation in your life, you might find yourself all of a sudden after becoming a Christian that you want to read the Bible, or that you might uh, have compassion on people in a way that you didn't before. Uh, my, favorite, uh, my favorite early Episcopal Church saint is um, uh, Mad Jack Ravenscroft, uh, who uh, went on to be a, a bishop in the Episcopal Church. He uh, was in the United States uh, in the early colonial, in the colonial years of the 1700s, uh, was living in Williamsburg as a lawyer, and he was found in contempt of court almost 20 times uh, because he used profanity. And uh, he, just, he said, you know, I, I want to stop cussing. And so he really set his mind to it. And actually, it was after he set his mind to it where he really went on a roll in the courtroom uh, and was cussing up a storm. And it wasn't until he became a Christian, actually he was riding on the back of his horse and he began to think about uh, what a preacher uh, named Devereux Jarrett had said. And he began to think about it. And so we got on the horse as a non-Christian and got off the horse as a Christian. And, uh, and one of the things that people would remark about uh, Ravenscroft was that after he became a Christian, he didn't cuss as much. And so people would ask him about that, and he'd say, honestly, I really haven't given it much of a thought. Right? Why? Because the Holy Spirit had been doing uh, a preventing work in his life, and the fruit of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit began to be shown uh, in, his, uh, in his own life. And so when it comes to discipleship, to be a disciple simply means to be a student or a follower of somebody, which is a student or a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, I think the church is needing to get more specific about its language, because when you ask somebody, are you a Christian in America today, I mean, that could mean any number of things, can it? I mean, most people translate it as, well, I'm trying to be a good Christian, meaning I'm trying to be a good person, or, yeah, I go to church. I go to church, which, of course, doesn't make you a Christian either. And so, disciple actually may be a better word. It's certainly a biblical word, where are you a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you given your life wholly over to Him? Are you dwelling in His grace and in His love? And so, the Advent being a place that responds to the grace that we have received from Jesus Christ. So, one, we invest in this culture by designating a director of Christian education and discipleship to facilitate and assist the growth of discipleship. This is actually only one of the areas in which we've said we actually may need a staff person to bulldog this. Now, you notice it doesn't say hire, right? Um, I I have my ideas that I won't make public, but I'm sure if you're around here for any amount of time, uh, there's a certain person on staff who really is already doing this, but I'd like for him to take it on a little bit uh, more fully, Uh, but uh, now everyone's going to want... See, now you're paying attention. Um, And so, um, uh, but actually uh, to be the person uh, who makes sure that all of our ministries are defined uh, by discipleship. And by that, I don't mean sort of the old mainline way of discipling people, which is, yeah, we'll throw a couple Bible studies at best, uh, but, you know, if you want to get involved in the church, uh, you join a committee of some sort. Now, there are plenty of committees. Well, actually, there aren't that many. This is the best church in the world. We don't have many committees. For God so loved the world that He did not send a committee. Um, so, um, but there are plenty of avenues. And so things like there's some really light, bare, you know, uh, easy entry points uh, into the life of the Advent, like lunches, uh, waiting tables, things like that. Uh, but what we'd really like to see is a culture of discipleship where people are growing in their knowledge of grace and love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we foster this culture in Sunday morning worship through sermons, announcements, and testimonials from members focused on the gospel. I mean, a little bit of what I said this morning. I mean, our job, even on Sunday mornings, is to help you handle the Word of God. For you yourself to be able to open God's Word doesn't mean that you're going to get all of it. And nor am I saying that, hey, in order to really be able to handle God's Word, you need to know every single book of the Bible. You need to know how many chapters are in the Psalms. Uh, You need to know the shortest verse in the Bible, but you should already know that, right? Jesus wept. Um, You know, that's not what I'm talking about at all. Because uh, to Zach Hicks' good point in The Adventurer this week, uh, we're not looking for head knowledge, right? We're looking for a relationship. Uh, We're looking for a relationship. And so uh, really pushing people uh, toward the Lord Jesus Christ in all that we do. Educate this culture through a world-class Christian education curriculum that engages, educates, and draws us nearer to Jesus and then propels us out into the world to proclaim uh, the gospel. So um, we had a long conversation about the term world-class, what that meant. But really, we have such amazing resources at the Advent, especially our Sunday school lineup. And we really wanted uh, to say, okay, when we look at our Christian Christian education curriculum from cradle to grave, what are we trying to do? What are we trying to do? I mean, you would be shocked at the number of churches. And admittedly, this was the case at the Advent for a while, that there was little to no communication between the children's ministry and the youth ministry. And until a couple years ago, we actually said, okay, what is the junior high sort of looking for when the kids pass from 6th grade into 7th grade? Like, what are we doing K through 6 to introduce these children to the Lord Jesus Christ and to grow them in faith? By God's grace. What are we trying... What are we, I mean, most school teachers do that, right? right? They, they figure out a curriculum. Uh, and so we're not... The other thing, too, though, what's hard about the Advent is anytime we go to a boxed curriculum, it stinks. It's terrible. Uh, inevitably, we find some sort of problem with it, whether it's just really shallow or whether it wants to major on the minors. An example of this would be something like this. There's a, a friend of mine uh, who goes to uh, another Episcopal church And uh, he was telling me uh, of how much his children are learning in their Sunday school and uh, going on and on about it. And he said, you know, uh, they even know uh, the different seasons of the year, like what Epiphany is and what Pentecost is and even ordinary time. And and they know what all the colors mean up front and what you're supposed to be doing in the services. And, And I asked him, I said, well, what do they know of the Lord Jesus Christ? And those things are fine in and of themselves, but... I mean, when we stand before the judgment throne of God, we're not going to be asked, what's the appropriate color for Pentecost? It ain't going to happen. Right? In fact, I hope you know those things are totally arbitrary. Do you know who decides what colors we use during what season? It's a company called Whipples in England that makes church goods. And so what's the traditional color for Advent? Purple. Well, you realize that after a certain amount of time, you kind of max out your market. Everybody's got enough purple. So you know what Whipples did about 10 years ago? They said, we're going to go to this shade of blue for Advent. Why? Revenue. Yeah, revenue. Uh, There's no theological reason behind it. It's just a color identifier. And so what are we trying to do with the kids? What are we trying to do uh, with the adults? Uh, and, And do we have the opportunities not just in a didactic way like this, where you've got someone that's just teaching at you, but actually gives you the opportunity to handle the Word of God yourself. All right, there you go. Um, Four, to promote the culture through targeted, intentional training and mentoring throughout uh, the congregation. Now, let me just go back to the propelling us out into the Word to proclaim the gospel. I mean, what we would really like to see is for people to make their workplace their sphere of evangelism right? That's their mission field. And so rather than saying, hey, Andrew, would you start a Bible study I can bring my friends to? Why don't you start a Bible study that you can bring your friends to? In your workplace, find a conference room, find, find something, uh, have a lunch uh, that you do weekly, uh, and you meet with guys with your Bibles open. And probably, the, you know, one of the things I tell people is don't feel like you have to have an answer for everything. I mean, I've got one young parishioner who has me totally stymied right now uh, on a question and I'm looking into it, and my answer to him is, I don't know. I really need to look into that and figure that out. Where typically, what do we do? We just kind of dither around and think that we've answered the question. We've gotten nowhere near it. We've led the person astray. And so even though you don't, may not feel equipped, just go for it. And so this targeted intentional training and mentoring throughout our con- congregation is meant to do that. So, you know, this has uh, really caused a number of people to to avoid me on Sunday mornings. But when people would come up to me and say, hey, I'm about to retire, and I'd like to get a little bit more involved in the church, what do you suggest? The mainline answer is, we'll get involved in this committee. Uh, But normally what happens with the clergymen is they're sitting there and like oh, well, you know, that committee's all full, and oh, well, I guess you could do this, but then I don't know. And inevitably what happens is you don't give them any answer, and it's up to the person to find their way into the life of the congregation. And so unless they're an extrovert, or at least a recovering introvert, they're never going to find their way into the life of a congregation. So what I've started doing is when someone comes up to me and says that, I say, hey, look, there's Bill Smith. Uh, Bill Smith, uh, who's nobody, Uh, Bill Smith... uh, He's been coming to the church for about six months. I don't know him from Adam's house cat. I don't even know if he's a Christian. So what I'd like for you to do is to meet with him every other week and evangelize him if he doesn't know the Lord. And if he does know the Lord, I want you to disciple him. Well, of course, they look at me like, you're crazy. Right? You want me to do what? And my answer is, in those intervening weeks, those off weeks, I'll meet with you and show you how to do this. Right? Because think about it, if... If it was just left to the clergy to disciple people get a handful, maybe a week, but think if every Advent was discipling one person. I know that that's a lot to ask, but uh, if they were meeting somebody uh, every two weeks or every week uh, opening up their Bibles, uh, we wouldn't be talking about adding disciples. We'd be talking about multiplying uh, disciples. It's basically the divine pyramid scheme. And so that's what we're thinking in terms of discipleship. Now, moving on to ministry development. uh, We will identify, develop, and equip leaders for full-time professional ministry at the Advent in the Episcopal Church and in the Anglican Communion. Okay. The Advent uh, has always... We've never had problematic clergy. I mean, that's really remarkable. We've certainly, well, maybe we've had a problematic associate, um, uh, but you just make them the dean or rector if they're a problem. Um, uh, but we've never really had a dean or a rector where we thought, man, they got to go. They got to go. That's really unusual. Uh, and we've always done really well in uh, recruiting clergy and also training up. And yet, one of the things we're noticing, especially in our clergy searches, is it's becoming harder and harder to find somebody who could serve at the Advent. I mean, when we made our last clergy hire, who was Zach Hicks, I got the question, couldn't we find an Episcopalian to do the job? The answer is no. Either people are happy where they are, and they're, just kinda, they're doing a good work like we're trying to do at the Advent, and they feel like they need to see it through, or they just don't have a clue what's going on. Uh, They might be orthodox on the issues of the day that plague the church, but when it comes to ministry, they have no idea what they're doing. So we started the clergy, I mean, we started the curacy program to try to do that, but it became very apparent to me that it's too late after they've been to seminary. I'm going to get to that in a minute. But the other thing is, let's just take a look. Where are your current clergy from? Three of us are from the Diocese of South Carolina. One of us came through the Anglican Church in North America, and one is from a Presbyterian denomination. Those fishing holes are closed, folks. Right? South Carolina is completely closed off to us. It's becoming harder and harder and more difficult to get clergy who want to move from the Anglican Church in North America. If you want to know what that is, go look it up on the Internet. You'll be busy for days. And then, um, and then really... The, we weren't looking for Presbyterians. We were looking for Zach Hicks, who I hope by now you'll see is a thoroughgoing, died in the wool Anglican. Right? He knows more about Anglicanism than all of us put together. And in fact, if we hadn't brought Zach on board, do you know where the other two candidates were from? England. That's just not a sustainable model for us. And it really made me realize that we, if we want something done, we need to do it. We need to do it. Uh, uh, Bernard Montgomery, after uh, World War I, he was a major during World War I, and he was present at the Battle of the Somme and watched 60,000 men die. And uh, it was, uh, his wife died uh, in the interim between World War I and World War II of sepsis, and he dedicated uh, those years wholly over to the study of war. And after seeing what he saw in the history of warfare and of uh, tactics and strategy, do you know what his major overarching thesis was? What his main conclusion was? Generals should not run wars. You know where he got that from? Napoleon, of all people. Napoleon had a really healthy ego. But what Napoleon did is what Montgomery did and was what made him so successful. When they would get around the map, do you know what they would do? They'd say to the major, they'd say to the captain, they'd say to the lieutenant colonel or the colonel, what do you think? Now, why did he do that? Because they were on the battlefield. They could have looked out at the psalm and said to the generals, this ain't going to work. And yet, the generals did what? They didn't ask the junior officers what they thought. They just plowed ahead. And so, if we're expecting a superstructure, whether that be a denomination or a diocese or a bishop even, to raise up people for the advent, it isn't going to happen. It's simply not going to happen. And Episcopal seminaries are very good at producing ministers for the Episcopal church, which is exactly what we don't need. And I know people get upset when I say this, but the Advent is a unique place. Praise God. It doesn't mean that we think that we're better than anybody else. It doesn't mean that we look down on anybody else. Uh, But there's a call on us, and we're trying to be faithful to that call. And we're not going to allow structures and circumstance to let that slip away. Because I've seen it in a number of churches in the Episcopal Church. Where they just kind of let things float around and they just expect God to plop somebody down in their lap who will be the kind of faithful minister that they've had in the past. And guess what? If you aim at nothing, you're sure to hit it. And that's exactly what has happened in any number of churches. So the Advent is committed to raising up leaders for full time professional ministry. And we're not just talking about ordination, we're not just talking about ordination. But we are looking to develop partnerships and network with other churches, seminaries, dioceses, international provinces, and parachurch ministries. One of the biggest things right now that I'm trying to do for the Advent is to make sure that people know that there's a faithful gospel witness in the Episcopal Church here at the Advent. And so I get it from both ends. So when I went over to Rwanda for Sam Mugisha, remember Sam, Sam's our friend, when I went over for his consecration, there were conservative Anglicans from the United States who said, you shouldn't let Andrew be a part of the service because he's in the Episcopal Church. Back home, liberal Episcopalians were saying, Andrew's gone over to Rwanda to make himself a bishop and uh, get the Advent out of the church. Now, I wouldn't wish that on anybody, being a bishop. Uh, but, but you see the difficulty that the Advent is in. Like We're, we're getting it coming and going. Uh, as, as now, I mean, we're going to talk about what is the church and why the Advent is able to function in the way that it is when we continue our series on the articles. Uh, but suffice it to say that we're interested in, in fostering gospel partnerships with other ministries. Uh, I don't care what the shingle says out front, quite frankly, because the task is too important. We're the only denomination in the world that if you have a Presbyterian who says, hey, I want to join you, that we say, Whoa, 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 whoa. Just pragmatically, you would think that people would say, we're so glad you're here. We didn't think anybody wanted to join us. But instead, we view them with suspicion. Because Episcopalians and Anglicans almost always define themselves by what they're not. Going Presbyterian. Man, that's a Baptist hymn. Normally, all the Baptist hymns are written by Anglicans, by the way. We don't know what it means, but rather than defining ourselves by what we're not, not Presbyterian, not Baptist, that we would, now I've offended Lauren, that we would define ourselves by who we are and what uh, we are for. And in order uh, to carry that forward, we have to develop those partnerships and networks with these different types of entities. Develop an intentional apprenticeship internship program which could include but is not limited to pre seminary, seminary, and curacy, and music liturgical professionals. So, one of the things that and we're going to get to some of this stuff when we get to the other bullet points. One of the things that I think that we absolutely need to do is we need to start a ministry training strategy here at the Advent. We need to take young men and young women right out of college, put them here for two years to show them what ministry looks like, train them up and then send them off to the right theological college, the right theological college. Now, they may be ordained, and they may not be ordained. It may be you get a young woman who's like, I just want to do women's ministry. You may get a young man who says, I I really kind of want to do youth ministry and don't feel the call to ordination. We're still going to train them up. We're still going to do that with the eye toward not just flooding the church with these individuals, but also... Raising up my replacement. I mean, I I know I'm a young man. I look young. I use a daily moisturizer and um, uh, take real good care of myself. Now, I can say that with a straight face now that Lauren's left the room. Uh, but, But I think about that. I think who my replacement's going to be. And if we don't start thinking about it and working toward it and praying about it right now, it may not happen. It may not happen. But in addition to that, Getting seminarians to come here to see how the Advent works. Possibly doing a curacy program if we can find these people with their heads screwed on right. And then a musical and liturgical professionals. Actually, you know, starting a summer camp for young organists. Trying to get more kids involved in in various and sundry things. Uh, Trying to be more creative in broadening our exposure when it comes to our music ministry. So these are things that we're thinking about right now. Create a resource center or institute for professional ministers. Uh, That is, as I said about the discipleship thing, often the Advent has to write its own curriculum. And so is the Advent the kind of place where someone can call up and say, and this happens a lot, hey, do you have this? Or can you come talk to our church about that? Or we're trying to figure this out. Can you help us uh, move along in this area? Uh, Can we be a place that puts on preaching conferences? Uh, Can we be a place where, you know, one of the great things that Simeon did, Charles Simeon, uh, was that he had these house parties where he would bring pastors and their wives to a big country estate for the weekend for Bible study and just a chance to get away. I mean, I have a real luxury here uh, at the Advent where if I want fellowship, I just go down the hall. Think about the guys who are just slogging it in the trenches who have only themselves and feel like the world is against them and in some cases not just the world their congregations create an intentional structure to identify and mentor high school and college age students who de- demonstrate ministry gifts or a calling this is something that i am committed to not just in principle but actually personally i'm going to be going with cameron cole to visit the various college campuses keeping in touch with our college kids, and actually putting this option of full-time ministry before them. Now, the difficulty in that is that I know as some parents would think, well, but I don't want my child to be paid in hams and jellies for the rest of their lives. They'll be fine. Trust me. And there's no higher calling. I mean, I'm reminded of the the person I know uh, who, as a young woman, felt called to the missionary field. And you know where she was called? Afghanistan. Of course, her parents found out, and they, godly people, said, you can't go. You can't go. And she looked at her parents and said, but if I don't go, who will tell them? I mean, do we have that kind of urgency where we actually are willing to, to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel so that others might hear the saving love of Jesus Christ? And so to be intentional rather than just kind of sitting back and waiting for high schoolers and college-age students to say, hey, I might be interested in that, actually to seek them out and say this is something that you really ought to consider and think long and hard about. It may be that they go into full-time ministry. It may be that they don't. It may be that they go and be a rector of an Episcopal church. It may be that they go and serve a parachurch ministry. I don't care. What I care is for the gospel to get out so that people can hear about Jesus Christ. So where do we go from here? So these are a lot of ideas, and uh, the first idea is to be implemented over the next uh, two years. Um, this is the whole, whole shooting match, right, that we've talked about the past three weeks. One, um, uh, being committed to prayer. Uh, so that is, um, uh, well, these are actually just, uh, so these are the, um, are the ideas. Evaluate our existing communication structure and recommend an optimal communication strategy supporting the Advent's ministry and purpose. We talked a little bit about that, that right now we're having a really hard time figuring out how we communicate with one another. It's a big place, and we need someone to help us with that. Foster a culture that responds to God's grace in Sunday morning worship through sermons, announcements, testimonials, from members focused on the gospel. We just talked about that. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and skip, because we've already talked about all these, down to um, outreach foster and develop a culture where Adventists through the work of the Holy Spirit take part in evangelism, doing justice and loving mercy, build and train a large team of volunteers to improve the experience of visitors, newcomers, and members on Sundays, develop and implement ideas that deepen the spiritual experience of members, particularly in areas related to prayer, pastoral care, community, and service, and establish a strong culture of welcoming and hospitality in our Sunday worship services with a leadership team drawn from clergy, staff, and leaders. And I feel like that there are some things that are missing. Those are the first nine. Gil? Gil? Um, Okay, so someone gave me an incomplete slideshow. But all that to say, you don't really need these. We're going to look at all these things, and we're going to develop action teams around all of them. Not everybody in the Advent is going to be a part of an action team, and it's not a ranking. Right? It's not a ranking. So if you don't end up on one, it's not because we don't like you, or we don't feel like you're unworthy. But basically, we're going to have these folks look at these types of things and say, how do we do this? What are your recommendations for a way forward on these things? And um, and it may be as simple as, like, with the ministry development, thumbs up on the ministry training strategy. But you see at the Advent, there are a thousand moving parts. I mean, it's, it's such a domino effect. It's not to be believed. So it's all well and good to say, hey, we want, ministry tra- we want a ministry training scheme here at the Advent. But what does that mean? It means somebody <whistles> is going to have to change their job description, right? Because if I'm going to be working on that... That means there are other things I can't be working on. So it's actually looking at everybody's job description and asking what are our priorities, what are we trying to do, and is what we're doing actually moving our mission down the road. I hope the other thing that you see, and you can find this in the... Um, uh, in the um, Where is that thing? Well, I think it's on the website, of when it comes to the action teams uh, for these various and sundry items uh, that uh, it's, it's not going to be a quick work. And so when we prioritize these things, it's not really, uh, we're not saying some things are more important than others, but in fact, some things might take a really long time uh, to do. So for instance, when it comes to starting uh, a new worship service on Sunday mornings, uh, there are a lot of logistical concerns with that. And so it might just take a, a good while for us to work out what that's going to look like. Well, on the other hand, it might just all fall into place. I can promise you it's not starting next week, uh, much less the whole, until the academic year. Uh, but those are the things that need to be taken into consideration. And there are things that are just going to be a lifetime's work, right? I mean, some of these things up here are not something where you're like, whew, done. Done fostering a culture of discipleship. Right? That's just something you've got to keep on. So I'm going to stop right now and take questions, comments, and concerns.
0: Thank you, Andrew. Um, one thing that I like about this is we had so many uh, items that were listed. Here we've got, you know, in the next two years what we need to focus on, and I just like the fact that these are, it's actionable, it's achievable to be able to take one or two from each one. Thank of you, That's right. Yeah, this
1: is the first tier, so these things that we'll begin work on immediately. Two years, yeah. I realize that it's all earth-shattering and groundbreaking, um, but I think that if there's any word, it's just intentionality about being the Advent, right? I mean, you don't see anything up here, and if you do, please say something, like, this is taking us on a whole different direction. I mean, I I think that that's one of the things that we've noticed about the Advent, or about this visioning process, if it's anything, it really is um, to keep on keeping on.
0: Andrew, I was just going to add that if you are interested in being on an action team, um, to let Gil know or Troy know or me or somebody on the vestry, um, and we that's not a promise that you'll be plugged into that committee, but we certainly would like to know who's interested where. But we have to keep the s- committees a certain scale and a certain balance. Yeah. But we would certainly interested in whoever. So if interested. you
1: are, if there's a particular area that you're kind of fired up about, um, without an agenda, uh, please... By the way, anytime somebody says action team, who else has the theme song to the A-team playing in their head? Um, I do. Uh, so, uh, nobody. That's it. Mr. Mr. T, down front. So, so, to be sure we sort of clarify,
0: these come from, you know, the, you think of the three documents that were in the vision materials. The priorities were the, the, the thin, the, the smaller piece. There were 19 ideas that came out. These are the first, we broke them into three tiers. Tier one are things we think we can do in two years. Tier two are things that will take longer. And tier three are things that we are not, as Andrew said, we're not really sure exactly how long they take. And so all three are things that we think that the teams sort of presented and put forward. So look at all 19 and know these are the nine that we say we can begin on soon. And, uh, but all 19 were really issues that we think action teams will want to address. If you want to help participate, as Jane said, please speak up. But all 19 go into the grand sweep. It was a lot of stuff, and as Andrew said, some of it's not really radical, but it's being very intentional about what are the things that, that we uh, felt the church was being called
1: to move forward on. No, no comments or concerns, like the, especially the ministry development piece. From I down played. under. Oh, Michael, what do you want? Uh, at the start of this talk, you talked about how God so loved the world that He didn't send committees. This looks like a list of committees that we're about to appoint. Um, can you speak to that? Let me translate for you. Uh, what Michael said uh, was that uh, it looks, looks like a list of committees. In a sense, yeah. I mean, thanks for pointing that out. Uh, Michael? Michael? Uh, But, um, by the way, Mike Weeks uh, from Australia, he's going to be joining us in a part-time capacity while he works on his doctorate degree at Samford. But we'll we'll be talking... He's uh, going to be ordained on October the 28th uh, by Key Sloan on behalf of the Archbishop of Sydney. And so... uh, But back to your question. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that the idea, though, is that the Advent needs to take ownership of this. And if we just compiled teams of staff to begin to do this, I don't think that, that that would accomplish the opposite of what we're trying to do. So you can call it a committee, uh, but action teams, I think, captures it a little bit better so that people are actually invested in the work and that they can take some ownership of it, uh, ownership of it too. But the other thing too is that these people are not necessarily, I mean, it's not like their word goes. I mean, there's going to be a, some conversation as, as a church body. Uh, over all of these issues, and so, but we, we need somebody to start the ball, and, um, and so we need some leadership. Yes, Jason. Andrew, Andrew um, as as to ministry development, uh, what what kind of obstacles or scrutiny uh, is the church looking at? Given that we 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 don't function independently. Yep. Um, if you could just share some thoughts on that. It came up on the committee frequently, and I was just wondering if you could say something. Too. Yeah, we run into a number of obstacles because, um, i just say it. I mean, I had one high-ranking person in the Episcopal Church say to me, there's no place for you in the Episcopal Church. So, there's the one obstacle of, uh, and by you, he meant the Advent. Um, that's one thing because the Advent is an outlier. Um, there's not, uh, there's some antagonism toward the Advent. I don't really care about that. I don't lose any sleep over it. If they want to lose sleep over it, sorry for them, uh, because I think what we're doing is the right thing. So there's a cultural... Can the Episcopal culture actually be as liberal as it says it is? Do, will it allow churches like the Advent not just to exist but to flourish? And that's the big thing, because what I get told by leadership... Is we're so glad you're here. Now, what they mean is we're so glad you're here on the corner of 20th and 6th, and so long as you stay right there, we won't have any problems. And so, when we get flack, is when our theology actually begins to inform our ministry and practice. So, the things that I get people get upset with trustful the fact that we help trustful get back on its feet that's been met with great um, resentment. Uh, in the diocese, um, our uh, our creativity when it comes to ministry, like bringing Zach on board. Uh, so there the, the really is a cultural problem uh, that the Advent just isn't willing to go along to get along. And um, so there's that one. Also, we need to have the courage to work within the canons. Now, that sounds funny, uh, but uh, we have had a difficulty getting our candidates for for ordination through the process. And there are other ways that we can get them ordained that is totally above board um, and I think is a more objective process. It's not an end run. Uh, I think that we need to... Uh, I'm simply not going to let our seminarians go to certain seminaries anymore, full stop. I'm just, it's too important. I'm just not going to let them go to those places anymore. And so they'll have a short list of places that they can go and the Advent's going to support them financially and... Um, and if they want to go to one of those other places, they're going to have to find a new church to sponsor them, and they'll have to find financial supplements some other way. Uh, so I think it's just us actually, again, uh, putting our faith into practice and say, are we really going to do this, and are we really going to see it, see it through? Uh, and people will look at us like a dog looking at a clock. I mean, they, don't, they don't know what to do with this as it is. Uh, but the Advent is too important. The gospel ministry is too important. And again, we're not being flippant. We're just, I'm not talking about the Advent breaking out or, or going in a different direction. I'm just saying that in order for us to even stay the course we're on, we have to get more creative and we have to get more bold. And we have to stop worrying about what other people think and fear God more than we fear man. Full stop. And I hate that because I hate controversy. Um, as much as that, I mean, it comes as a surprise to some people. But I really, I, I'm a people pleaser, and I don't like that stuff. But it's just too important. Rest in the back. Hi. What do you feel
0: is the current stability of Neshota House and Trinity?
1: Um, I don't think Neshota is, is as stable as it once was. I think it's confused over some things, I, I wouldn't want to send anybody there, um, and, um, and it, it just trains up for a very particular kind of ministry, and that's sort of an Anglo-Catholic monastic style, and I don't think that model of ministry works in our culture anymore, the sort of Father Knows Best, all my job is, is to celebrate communion on Sundays, and if you want to talk to me, come to me, just isn't going to work. Um, Trinity, uh, Trinity is, is doing well on paper, but my concern with Trinity is, one, are they going to stay true to their evangelical commitments? Uh, and then, two, what does it look like for an Episcopalian to go to Trinity, which is a seminary dominated by the Anglican Church in North America? Like, I don't want to send one of our guys up there to have them browbeaten over wanting to stay in the Episcopal Church. Uh, I mean, I know one leader uh, who used to sit on the board of Trinity, uh, a bishop, who once told a friend of mine who was ordained in the Episcopal Church that God doesn't call anybody into the Episcopal Church. Well, where does the conversation go after that? Um, and and we, just, we just can't have that. And quite frankly, and I said this to the dean and president of Trinity Seminary last month, I like Trinity, I'm for Trinity, but there are better options. There are better options out there for our guys to be trained up for ordination. Those options options are there's this lady named Sally Strothos, and she's got this correspondent. I'm kidding, y'all are supposed to laugh about (laughs) all that kind of stuff. I'm really stuck in the 1980s uh, television show thing right now. Um, uh, Right now, uh, Beeson, Beeson's a wonderful option. Um, Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando has a partnership with the Diocese of Central Florida, the Episcopal Diocese, where they get good Bible training there at RTS, and they get the Anglican component from uh, the Diocese of Central Florida. Justin Holcomb runs that. He's been a a Lenten preacher here at the Advent. Greg Brewer, the bishop there, has been a Lenten preacher. Uh, I'll send guys uh, to Oak Hill in London, uh, and I'll send people to Moore in Sydney, Australia. Now, the problem with that is... You know full and well that um, there's every chance that we send a man off to Sydney, Australia, and he uh, meets an attractive Australian woman, and then it's g'day, uh, and, uh, and, and they stay down there. But again, we're ta- I mean, we've got a much bigger picture of what the gospel's all about, and if they're ministering the gospel in Australia, uh, praise God. Uh, but also, logistically, that's really hard. And so, um, I don't expect too many people to take advantage of Oak Hill or, uh, or more, uh, but... Um, and, and I would be willing to have a conversation about Trinity. But again, it's not just sort of like, here's the list. We'd really want to have a conversation with our candidates to see what the best fit is, uh, fit is for them. Chin. Any, the Any particular plans about the music? Keep on keeping on. I mean, uh, so just a couple things about the music. The preacher picks the hymns. So if you don't like the hymns, complain to the preacher, right? And I think Fred Teardo, if you've noticed over the past couple years, has done a remarkable job with the anthems. It's really, really good, and I think the choirs never sounded better. I, I think that they are doing a, a so. If anything, strength to strength, let's double down. So I do think that the, that our music ministry needs to get a little bit more creative about the music ministry. So things like when we have choral even song. Maybe we should try to have it at a time that attracts the downtown community rather than Sunday afternoon. Um, So that's the kind of stuff we're thinking about when it comes to the music. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.